Something to note, Paradise Lost is one of the most famous epic poems of all time. For this adaptation, we've streamlined the story and supplemented it with additional research into the literary influences of John Milton. It may not be the version you're familiar with, but we hope you enjoy it. And be warned, today's episode includes dramatizations of graphic violence, sexual content, and animal cruelty. Please exercise caution for all listeners under 13. There are some laws you can break in secret. Others leave a scar too massive to hide. The moment the woman's teeth sank into the fruit, she knew her transgression was the latter. Earth felt the wound and nature from her seat, sighing through all her works gave signs of woe that all was lost. Back to the thicket slunk the guilty serpent. Eve, intent now wholly on her taste, not else regarded. Greedily she engorged without restraint. And knew not that she was eating death. The man stood fixed before her, while a chill feeling of horror ran through his veins. He approached step by step until they were almost touching, and the second stage of Satan's plan fell into place, just as he knew it would. Do you think I chose the woman because she was weak-willed or easier to deceive than her counterpart? Or that noble Adam, first of his species, would see the treachery in the serpent? The only reason I did not whisper in his ear was because of the angels. They watched him closely, but not her. The man did not lash out at the woman or accuse her of betrayal. His only thought was for the life of his partner. He saw the link of nature between them. She was the flesh of his flesh, bone of his bone. He never wished them to be parted, either in bliss or woe. When he took a fruit for himself, he said the very thing that I hoped he would. To lose thee were to lose myself. The wound in nature spread through the earth, shaking the uninhabited mountains, making the still pristine oceans tremble. A thousand, thousand miles away, past the abyss of chaos, two figures waited outside the gates of hell. One, a woman with the lower body of a serpent, the other, a formless shroud of darkness. Sin and death. Their hellhound children slavered, licking at the blood oozing from sin's scales. He has done it! A shiver ran up sin's spine. All her fatigue and agony was overcome by a growing strength. 
this power crept from the tip of her tail up into her still human torso. It nestled in her shoulders before bursting out of her back as two wings. I can feel my domain growing beyond the hollow outskirts of hell. Our time is near my shade. They beheld the abyss before them, impassable, but not for long. And when they were unleashed, they would sate their appetites on the earth. For death from sin, no power can separate. Welcome to Mythology, a Spotify original from Parcast. Every Tuesday, we present dramatic stories from ancient mythology and explore their origins. I'm your host and narrator, Vanessa Richardson. You can find all episodes of Mythology and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. This week, we're bringing you the final chapter in our adaptation of Paradise Lost. Until now, we've focused primarily on the text and haven't spoken much about its author. Although he wrote ceaselessly about politics and faith, John Milton never wrote a biography, so much of his creative process is still a mystery. Milton was a man of immense privilege, so he spent most of his adult life doing what he loved, articulating his philosophies in prose and verse. And yet, Paradise Lost was shaped by the tragedy that colored his later years. According to his contemporary, John Aubrey, Milton began Paradise Lost as early as 1658, when he was 50 years old. By this point, he'd gone completely blind and had lost multiple wives to complications with childbirth. Sometime in 1660, officers of the Crown imprisoned Milton for his allegiance to the late English political leader, Oliver Cromwell. His work was publicly condemned. The blind man was unable to write while in prison, but the unfinished epic remained gestating in his head, while much of his previously published work was burned in the street. Milton was pardoned, but he remained under suspicion so much so that some contemporary scholars read Paradise Lost as an anti-monarchist allegory. However, this reading neglects a key difference between Milton and his anti-hero, Satan. Every step in Satan's journey pushes him further and further into bitterness and rage. Whereas Milton appeared to find some measure of serenity after his release from prison, while plagues and fires ravaged London, He moved into the country and dedicated himself to a project he saw as greater than himself. You see, in the text of the poem, humanity's freedom from death comes not from doubling down on your beliefs, but by humbling oneself. Coming up, divine retribution comes for man and demon alike. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. 
Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The serpent wove its way through the grass, its legs working as fast as they could go. Satan was trying to cover as much ground as he could. He needed to abandon this shell before he was discovered. The serpent had been useful, but he could not possess this creature forever. Its slippery mortal flesh was an uncomfortable fit for his ethereal mind. He cast a glance to the sky. The sun flickered through the constantly shifting clouds overhead. The earth rumbled and shook. If the Almighty hadn't noticed Satan's presence, he would soon enough. He expects me to linger and savor my victory. I will not be that much of a fool. Satan hadn't known exactly what to expect when the humans ate from the tree. He'd considered the possibility that the fruit was poisoned, but it was a stretch to imagine his creator being so lazy with punishment. Perhaps the fruit would turn the man and the woman into animals themselves, ruining their dominion over the birds of the air and the beasts of the sea. In the end, it did neither of those things. The woman and the man pulled each other close, grunting and moaning. Soon enough, they were screaming, Satan watched their tender caresses turn to passionate lust. They were not exactly chased before, but now... Now they have turned into animals. (laughs) Just not in the way I expected. A flash of lightning shook Satan out of his reverie. He could feel his movements slowing. He cursed himself for picking a cold-blooded creature for his vessel. Step by aching step, he forced himself along. His eyelids drooped. I can't leave this body now. I'd be spotted immediately. Suddenly, a blinding light filled the air. He could feel warmth flooding his limbs, and his mind regained its sharpness. But he was not relieved. A glowing figure walked through the windswept garden, so bright that Satan's eyes stung, a feeling he'd not experienced since the battle on the plains of heaven. He shrank into a nearby hedge as the son of his creator walked past him. A shiver ran up his spine. He isn't here for me. Not yet, at least. As soon as the glowing one was out of sight, Satan charged toward the garden walls. He passed many panicked and confused animals who could not comprehend what was happening. 
The quaking earth and vicious weather struck fear even in those who could not understand why. Satan reached the outer boundary and finally released himself from the serpent. His spirit shot out of the creature, leaving it blinking and disoriented. <sighs> he spread his wings and settled into the canopy, stretching out his limbs. His escape had come not a moment too soon. Something spoke behind him with a voice that emerged from the very shaking of the earth. Serpent, thou art accursed. Upon thy belly groveling thou shalt go, and dust shalt eat all the days of thy life. Between thee and the woman I will put enmity, and between thine and her seed. Her seed shall bruise thy head. Thou bruise his heel. The serpent let out a cry and twisted on the ground, writhing as if trying to shake some invisible attacker. Before Satan's eyes, its legs shriveled and dried. It rolled onto its belly, atrophied limbs sloughing off. Finally, it slithered away into the garden, leaving its legs behind. It did not spare a look in Satan's direction. If it was even aware of why God had punished it, it gave no sign. Goodbye, unfortunate beast. Satan crept down the mighty trees that formed the pillar beneath Eden. He could have flown, but preferred not to risk it. The last thing he needed was another pair of upstart cherubim trying to bother him. He reached the base of the trees and peered out onto the wastelands of Earth. His eyes widened in surprise. He saw a procession of angels, cherubim mostly, flying away from the garden. They were sullen, silent, eyes downcast as they flew, a line of white figures drifting into the starry sky. How craven the mind of an angel is. There was no passion for revenge, no outrage. They have failed their duty and now slink back to their master's place, dejected, pathetic. However, now that the guards are gone... I think it's time we have some fun. Satan unfurled his wings and flew low to the ground. He followed not any feature of the earth, but his own memory. Hell is not a place you find on a map. You find it in your heart, and it guides you the rest of the way. A voice echoed in his mind, one that made his chest flutter with delight. Satan, congratulations on your success. Sin? How do you know I've... My heart, by a secret harmony, still moves with thine. I cannot see through your eyes, but I feel your thrills, your fears, your excitement. Oh, I cannot wait to tell you everything. Oh, we are done with waiting. The Earth fell away. 
before Satan yawned the formless, iridescent whirlwind of chaos. Only there was something different this time. Within the discordant vista, Satan saw two figures heading in his direction. They flew with jerky, abrupt movements, fighting their way through the winds of creation. They strung something long and stony behind them. It was a length of loose rocks held together by adamantine chains. Like a great carpet, it stretched from one end of the abyss to the other, straining but never breaking. The two shapes landed before Satan and fixed their ends of the chain to the earth. Sin raised her eyes to Satan's, a smile overtaking her usually melancholy expression. A pair of dark wings spread out behind her, trembling with pent-up excitement. Death stood silently beside her, emotion unreadable. His dart hovered at shoulder height, its point aimed at Satan's breast. Across their newly erected bridge crawled creatures from chaos, discord, rumor, tumult, confusion, all staring at Satan with expectant, greedy eyes. You promised us liberation, prey to feast upon instead of each other. And I have found it. Mankind will be the sweetest meal you have ever tasted, now that they have broken the covenant between them and their creator. But I must warn you, Death. Do not devour them immediately. They must be allowed to multiply. When they have offspring, you will have them by the millions. You are delaying us. I told you, Satan, death cannot be reasoned with like I can. I'm doing no such thing. We share the same goal, Sin. Devastation on Earth. And yet, you do not wish us to feast upon the humans. I want you to savor them. In the meantime, there are plenty of other beings you may feast upon. What do you mean, other beings? Go see for yourselves. While I return to my infernal empire, descend upon paradise. I give you my blessing. Dwell there and reign in bliss. Teeth bared in excitement, Sin launched herself into the air. Death glided after his counterpart with the calm certainty of a storm cloud. Soon they'd both vanished into the thickest constellations of the night sky, their progress marked by eclipses and shuddering planets left in their wake. Satan stood before the bridge, staring across the empty earth with satisfaction. In that moment of triumph, the game between him and God seemed clear, and Satan was several moves ahead. God, your retribution struck a harmless serpent. Mine, however, will have carnage. Coming up... Violence arrives in the Garden of Eden. Hi, listeners. It's Vanessa from the ParCast series Mythology. Every Tuesday, join me on a wondrous journey back in time. 
Exploring the most epic battles, sweeping love stories, and harrowing adventures ever told. Heroes, gods, monsters, mayhem, this podcast has it all. From the Knights of the Round Table and Hori the Hunter to Paradise Lost and the Lost City of Atlantis. Each episode of Mythology dramatizes history's greatest stories, bringing their origins to life and giving insight into how our ancestors saw the universe. Ancient myths, modern twists. Catch new episodes of Mythology every Tuesday and binge the classics anytime. Listen free only on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now back to the story. The tree of life bent in the wind, its branches straining. Dark clouds shrouded the sun, swirling like thick sea foam. In the garden, the panic of the animals had simmered into cold terror. From the lion to the lamb, every creature cowered in its habitat, trembling. In their bower, the man and the woman clung together. When they saw the world change, they'd first blamed each other— But fury soon gave way to despair. Their shouting turned into tears, and their tears into silent companionship. They were together in this, no matter what happened. A cloud of monsters rose above the garden, At their forefront was a winged serpentine creature with the torso of a woman. Bloody, broken scales hung like a skirt around her waist. She spoke to a terrible shadow by her side. What do you think, Death? Does paradise seem as appetizing as you hoped? (sighs) Death did not speak, his voice a hollow exhale. Sin understood the meaning behind his silence. To death, who pines with eternal hunger, hell and paradise and heaven are the same. His only guide is his desire to consume. Feast first on the flowers, fruits, and herbs, then on each beast and fish and fowl. And when I have done my work on man, you may have him as Satan directed. Death and sin descended upon paradise, accompanied by all the nightmares they brought out of the abyss. The first to reach the ground was discord. Invisible, she entered paradise and settled into the hearts of every living animal. A tiger huddled in the tall grass felt a shiver run along its spine and its fur stood on end. Its eyes fell upon a soft four-legged creature by its side, one with hooves and large tufted ears. The man had not come up with a name for this animal yet. 
he never would. The tiger saw the life in the other animals' muscles and for the first time considered how fragile they were, how succulent it pounced. All across Eden, claws, teeth, and talons sank into flesh. The powerful became predators, the weak became prey. The beast no longer looked on the man and woman with respect, but suspicion. Blood spilled onto the soil of paradise. Screams echoed across the uninhabited continents. Thus began outrage from lifeless things. By the edge of the world, standing before the bridge connecting hell and earth, Satan heard these cries and smiled. What I could not do with an army, I have accomplished with just two agents. Slowly, the sounds of chaos and torment began to draw him, and he wandered back along the plains of Earth. With each step, the terrible sounds grew. So too did Satan's delight. What was it the Almighty said? The woman's seed will bruise my head? (laughs) Who would not purchase a world for a bruise? Depends on how severe it is. Satan's wings stiffened at the sound of the all-too-familiar voice, the angel he had hoped above all others to avoid, the one who he'd not seen since his cannons set the plains of heaven afire. Abtiel. The seraph looked just the same as Satan remembered, winged, pure, beautiful to look at. The air around him was warm and smelled of honeysuckle, In another lifetime, Satan had found this presence enchanting. Hello, Satan. So, now you call me by my chosen name. (laughs) What changed? I did. Since the war, I have lived an eternity without you. Solitude made me see things I had missed when we were together. (laughs) What is this? Some belated stab at reconciliation? Or are you here to inflict God's punishment upon me? God did not send me here. I followed you of my own volition. An angel showing initiative? (laughs) Careful. That sort of thinking gets you exiled. Just listen to me. Why? So you can make excuses for abandoning me again? Or better yet, so you can tell me to go easy on the humans? They are innocent. No matter what you think God has done, they have not harmed you. That's where you are wrong. They were created to harm me. Is everything you do out of envy? You rebelled because you thought that the creation of the Almighty Son was a slight to you. This is just more of the same... Abdiel, I wish you did not see the world in such black and white terms. I have seen the scope of the cosmos, everything that lies between heaven and hell. God does not only create things that are pure and noble... He made the beasts in chaos, which existed long before my rebellion. He has his reasons. Precisely. You angels believe that everything in this fragile little universe is intentional. A creation of the Omnipotent One. If that's true, then the dissatisfaction that led me to rebel against him is part of his design. So you won't even take responsibility for your own actions. 
That is not what I said. Listen, Abdiel. I would love nothing more than to believe that every choice is my own. But the more I think about it, the more I wonder. Did he create our love so it would tear us apart? I don't have an answer for you. Hurts to think about, doesn't it? Are you happy, Satan? Uh, what? You've caused so much pain in heaven and earth. I just want to know, are you happy with your new place in the universe? Satan took a tentative step towards Abdiel, reaching out a hand. As if by instinct, Abdiel returned the gesture, their fingers touched. Once, long ago, their hands would have passed through each other's in perfect union. Now, Satan's charred skin was a barrier too thick for an angel's hand to breach. I am... happier than I've ever been. Angel and demon parted once more, never to see each other again. Abdiel's work wasn't done. He flew to Eden and hovered above the violent garden. The stench of death hung heavily in the air, spots of blood glinting red in the grass. Abdiel took a deep breath. He produced his only weapon, a shard of metal, the length and width of his arm. It was the top half of a sword blade, one that Satan had once wielded upon the battlefield. He clutched the jagged edge in his hand. The metal bit into his palm. He felt his flesh close up almost instantly, but not before his blood ran down to the tip of the blade. All is not lost. Abdiel tucked his wings to his chest and dove. He had no shield. His only armor was his skin, but he was not deterred. He landed next to a crocodile, whose jaws snapped at a nearby rabbit. Abdiel grabbed the smaller animal and lifted it to safety, depositing it in a nearby bush. Seraph! Abdiel turned to see the terrible form of sin slithering towards him. He felt eyes on him from the shadows, creatures corporeal and insubstantial both, watching their new arrival with hungry eyes. <laughs> the race of Satan have their claws in this paradise. There is no defeating us. I have no interest in defeating you. I'm here to protect the innocent. A horrible dog-like creature leapt from his left, fangs bared. Abdiel dodged, swinging Satan's sword at it as it passed. The hellhound stumbled past, crashing into a nearby riverbank. You fight just like him. Her scaly lower half rippled and bulged. Old scars reopened beneath the scales. From her bloody folds, more hellhounds emerged, snarling and slavering as they approached Abdiel. This time, they did not approach one at a time. They struck all at once. As the swarm of hellhounds closed around him, 
Abdiel tucked his wings close to his body. He swung the blade left and right, slashing at their snouts and paws. Their claws and teeth stung more than any sword. As the dogs pressed in, Abdiel feared his angelic flesh would not heal fast enough. What happened to an angel when they were torn to pieces? Even Michael, the most seasoned warrior in heaven, had never told him. The hellhounds pressed so tightly that Abdiel could barely move. Enough! Abdiel unfurled his wings, shoving his attackers outward. The hellhounds scattered and stumbled over each other. Finally free from the press of hellish flesh, Abdiel leapt forward, carried through the air by his wings. But he did not flee. He was heading straight for Sin. Stay back, Seraph! Sin reared back, throwing up her hands to defend herself. But her power was not physical. It lay in deception and corruption. She could no more stop Abdiel's blade than he could stop the animals from killing each other. Satan's blade struck Sin's chest, piercing her heart. Leave this place. (laughs) You first. Sin unfurled her immense wings. Foot by foot, the angel and the monster lifted off the ground. Abdiel clutched the blade tightly as storm clouds swallowed them. Give up, creature. You're only bringing us closer to heaven. (laughs) Is that what you think I'm doing? The hue of the clouds around them shifted as if something dark was circling just out of sight. (laughs) You cannot kill me. Death is my inseparable shade. With her claw-like hands, Sin grasped the blade protruding from her abdomen. The weapon trembled and shattered completely. Splinters of metal flew outward, vanishing into the clouds. Abdiel reeled backward, beating his wings to keep himself aloft. (laughs) I told you, Seraphim. (sighs) We are unconquerable. Abdiel heard the attack before he saw it. He turned his body just in time to see a flash of silver fly past him. A current of impossibly cold air chilled his skin. This weapon was more devastating than any he'd seen on heaven or earth. Sin grinned ghoulishly before Abdiel. Behind him, a shape of complete darkness emerged. The silver dart returned to its hand, ready to fly again. Sin and death had come to destroy him. Ah, thank you. What? (laughs) Like I said, I don't care about winning this fight. I just needed to get you out of the garden. With that, Abdiel tucked his wings into his chest and dove. (laughs) 
sin and death would not be far behind him, but this did not matter. Even a slim lead would allow him to do what he had to do. He had to find the man and the woman. Their bower was exactly where Raphael had left them, not far from the Tree of Life. They huddled by the moss-covered stones that served as their dining table. No longer naked, but clothed in leaves and animal furs, tears shone in their eyes when Abdiel alighted beside them. The man averted his eyes in shame. The woman went to Abdiel immediately. It's my fault. I, I didn't mean for any of this to happen. We're doomed, aren't we? Take heart, Eve. You can survive, but there's only one thing you can do now. What is that? Pray. Coming up, humanity receives a second chance. Now back to the story. The angel Abdiel stood looking out onto the Garden of Eden. Blood and viscera stained the grass. Sin and death still ran rampant just out of sight. But Abdiel had found a sliver of hope. If the man and the woman humbled themselves, maybe someone in heaven would intercede for them. A creature burst through the underbrush in front of them. It was taller than the man, with coarse black hair and eyes white with bloodlust. Abdiel had no weapon, his sword shattered, but perhaps he could grab onto the creature's horns, lead it away. It wasn't something he'd ever done before, but after fighting sin and death, he was feeling especially capable. This feeling faded as the beast roared, baring its teeth. It lunged forward, mouth opening wide enough to swallow the angel whole. Abdiel braced himself. Just as a flaming sword fell from on high, piercing straight through the creature's skull. It shrieked, shuddered, and fell in a heap. A hand, strong, supple, and elegant, reached down and withdrew the blade from the creature's brain. Michael, you just killed one of God's creatures! You're welcome, Abdiel. Oh, I'm glad you're here. You don't know what it's been like. Yes, I do. It's all they've been talking about in heaven. Are they going to do anything about it? They've got their best man on the job me. Michael pointed upwards. Abdiel looked up to see a legion of cherubim filling the sky. Each possessed four faces, so they could watch each of the cardinal directions simultaneously. One by one, they swooped into the garden, separating the warring beasts. The previous guards were inadequate. Under my watch, none shall again infiltrate the garden. So, God is letting the humans stay in paradise after all? No, I'm here to remove them. 
The cherubim opened the gates of Eden. The animals, stained with blood or scared for their lives, thundered out into the world. Rivers poured forth and snaked their way across the landscape. The fountain beside the tree of life subsided to a low bubble. All that remained in the garden were the angels and the two humans. In the silence, both the man and the woman looked up from their prayers. I... I don't understand. Are we safe? You will never be safe again. Not until you re-enter the kingdom of heaven. Stay here. I will talk to Adam alone. Michael took the man under his wing, and the two walked off into the glade. Abdiel could tell that Eve wanted to protest, but guilt from her earlier transgression held her back. Instead, she sat beside the fountain, beneath the tree of life, hands folded in her lap. Abdiel sat beside her. Eve, I want to tell you something. What is it? Are you going to give me some grim prophecy about what I am supposed to expect outside of the garden? Warn me about another encounter with the adversary? No, that's Michael's job. (sighs) Eve, I won't lie to you. Sin has tainted your species, maybe forever. But you are not the first being to make a terrible mistake. You can't hate yourself for it. I don't hate myself. I'm afraid. That's it. Fear can wait until Michael gets back. For now, let's enjoy the quiet. The angel and the woman stared out onto the garden, empty, stained with violence, for the first time since its creation, utterly silent. To Satan, the heat of hell was like an old friend. With singular purpose, he walked across the bridge death and sin had built, through the infernal gates, and down into the deepest pits where pandemonium stood. The palace was more glorious than he remembered. His subjects had been hard at work in his absence. Polished obsidian buttresses were lit by spots of hellfire. One familiar figure stood at the gates, insectoid, hunched, and jittery, Beelzebub, his old friend and chief lieutenant. You're back. I thought for sure they had caught you by now. Ha! Gabriel wishes he was so clever. Tell me, how did it go? Was your mission successful? Successful beyond hope. Tell me everything. (laughs) I wish you could have seen it, Beelzebub. Through the tongue of a serpent, I tricked mankind into betraying God's trust. And I escaped quickly enough that his punishment fell upon the dumb beast. What a victory. We must tell the others, Moloch and Mammon, Belial, Nisroch, and all the rest. None of them will question your dominance now. They were fools to question it in the first place. (laughs) Come, let us surprise our colleagues. 
Fox. Cloaking himself in darkness, Satan passed invisible through the gates. Into the central chamber of pandemonium they went, and every demon they passed in the halls followed, drawn by the invisible influence of Satan's presence. Soon all the demons had gathered in the same hall where mere days before they had challenged Satan's right to rule. A thousand, thousand demons milled about while Satan invisibly ascended his high throne. He sat there for a while, watching his followers with glee, until finally he let his cloak of darkness fall. Princes of hell, thrones, dominations, princedoms, virtues, powers! I bring news of our war against heaven! My journey was long, my peril great. I crossed the uncrossable abyss. I contended with sin and death, night and chaos. Undaunted, I found the newly created world and its inhabitants, man. No cherubim or seraphim could stop me. Soon I was in his ear, whispering temptations and bringing about his ruin. I destroyed our creator's grand plan with an apple. Our victory is assured. We shall now possess, as lords, a spacious world as glorious as our native heaven. I'm here to lead you forth triumphant out of this infernal pit. Come now and join me in the new world as gods! Satan's final words faded away, along with the victorious cheers and shouts he'd been relishing. Satan looked down at his audience, wondering why they'd fallen so silent. No cheer came from the amphitheater, only a dismal, universal hiss. He wondered briefly if they had turned against him once more, only to see the crowd before him start to change. Their weapons and armor fell to the floor as their limbs retracted and their bodies warped. A surge of pain erupted in Satan's spine and he collapsed off his throne. His arms clung to his ribs, his legs entwined with each other. He tried to cry out only to realize his voice had become a hiss as well. What is happening to us? Satan's serpentine form wound around his throne, and he clung to it, fury simmering in his gut. He knew what the cause of this was. He thought he'd escaped punishment for what he'd done, when in reality, he'd only delayed it. There must be a way out of this. Think! Think! His eyes alighted on a high window above his throne, one which none of the other demons could reach. Craning his neck, he looked out 
and beheld something he'd never seen before. A grove of trees bursting from the inhospitable black rock of hell. Trees laden with fruit, identical to those in the Garden of Eden. Eat! Well played, omnipotent one. Well played. Satan slithered from his throne and back the way he came. The other smaller snakes accompanied him until at last they reached the grove. Satan opened his jaws and swallowed the ripest fruit he could see. Without proper teeth, he could not chew, but he choked it down as best he could. Slowly, he felt his limbs and wings separate from his body once more. He was himself again, trembling with the discomfort of transformation. What was that? A punishment. I fear we may have to return to this grove again before too long. Why do you think so? Because I'm never stopping. God must know that we will not be denied. He wants this war to continue as much as I do. Demons! Collect yourselves! We're going to bruise mankind's heel. Back in the Garden of Eden, Abdiel's peaceful respite with the woman came to a close as Michael returned with the man. Go back to heaven, Abdiel. I'll take it from here. Abdiel stood and watched as man, woman, and angel left paradise behind. The flaming sword of Michael guided them like a beacon through the blood-stained underbrush. I would eventually learn what Michael had told Adam. He gave him a vision of his descendants, of the generations that would spread across the globe and eventually find their way back to heaven. But paradise was no longer a part of their story. The gate of Eden would be shut, guarded by the dreadful faces and fiery arms of Michael's cherubim. Once they crossed its borders, the man and the woman would be on their own. Some natural tears they dropped, but wiped them soon. The world was before them, and providence their guide. Hand in hand, with wandering slow steps, through Eden, they took their solitary way. So now you know the full tale. A tale of two tragedies, mine and the one I brought upon the first humans. My journey's end and your beginning's woe. The war between heaven and hell would rage on, though no longer fought between angelic armies. In man we found our soldiers, our generals, our cannon fodder. Death and sin drank the blood of billions, and still their appetites remain unsated. The Almighty and His Son contrived ways to reverse my corruption upon His people. 
But you probably already know that story. To even mention it aloud fills my mouth with bile. Some centuries later, in the year 1667, Anno Domini, a blind man would turn my pain into words. He would dictate almost 11,000 lines of blank verse to a friend, family member, or assistant until his epic was complete. In these pages, John Milton invoked the names of other blind prophets, Tiresias, Phineas, Myonides, and Thamorus. Some said that God spoke through him. <laughs> Who's to say I didn't as well? To call Paradise Lost an important poem would be an enormous understatement. Milton's blank verse changed the English language itself. Phrases like unoriginal, pandemonium, and all hell broke loose remain in common use to this day. Throughout his career, Milton added 630 words to the English language, exceeding even his idol, Shakespeare. However, our adaptation of Paradise Lost was not only intended to highlight its well-established success, we wanted to zero in on two persistent controversies surrounding the text. The first was that Milton makes Satan too charismatic. In 1667, Minister John Beale wrote, Milton is a poet too full of the devil. He has put such long and horrible blasphemies in the mouth of Satan as no man that fears God can endure to read it without a poisonous impression. The other criticism falls not on hell, but on heaven. Many critics focused on how Milton's interpretation of Adam and Eve is far from a chaste one. They're clearly depicted as sexually active before the creation of original sin. More than that, Raphael even tells Adam that angels have sex with each other. In his 1969 preface to Paradise Lost, author and professor C.S. Lewis addressed this criticism head on. The real meaning of the sexuality of the angels is certainly not filthy. As angels do not die, they need not breed. They are not therefore sexed in the human sense at all. There exists among these creatures, according to Milton, something that might be called transsexuality. The angels are not to be judged as if they were invented gods, but as poeticizations of a life going on just above the human level. Lewis's aim was to discourage his contemporaries from accusing Milton of writing what he called homosexual promiscuity. However, to a modern reader, this analysis hits quite differently. It's almost as if, in his attempt to defend John Milton's integrity, C.S. Lewis inadvertently defended future queer readings of the text. One cannot truly argue that Milton's work holds up to modern political scrutiny. His characterization of Eve, for example, has earned harsh words from feminist critics the world over. But the good-faith approach of Lewis's interpretation allows room for progressive, even radical interpretations of a 355-year-old text. 
You don't have to be a practicing Christian to find value in Milton's epic. Like the works of Shakespeare, Virgil, or Homer, the achievement of Paradise Lost outshines the era of its creation. It's an adventurous song, pursuing a goal not yet attempted in either prose or rhyme, and in the end, accomplishing its aim in ways that its author could never have foreseen. Thanks again for tuning in to Mythology. You can find more episodes of Mythology and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. For more information on Paradise Lost, amongst the many sources we used, we found A Preface to Paradise Lost by C.S. Lewis and John Milton by Neil Forsyth, extremely helpful to our research. If you enjoy mythology, you'll love my other podcast, Tales. Tales presents fairy tales the way they were originally told, orally and unadulterated. Every Wednesday, we dive into the dark origins of another classic fable. We'll be back next week with a new epic story. Mythology is a Spotify original from Parcast. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler, sound design by Brian Golub, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Nick Johnson, Trent Williamson, and Carly Madden. This episode of Mythology was written by Robert Teamstra, edited by Molly Quinlan and Andrew Kelleher, fact-checked by Haley Milliken, researched by Adriana Gomez, and produced by Freddie Beckley. The amazing cast of voice actors includes Jerry Courtney Austin, Cameron Nikod, Julian Smith, and Laith Walshlegger. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Mm-hmm.